Please turn with me to the third book of the scriptures, the book of Leviticus. And if you have a pew Bible, it's on page 113. Leviticus means pertaining to Levi, which was one of the twelve tribes of Israel, the tribe that God chose to uh, ordain these men as priests and as servants of the tabernacle and the temple. Returning to the first chapter of Leviticus, and may I caution you that it, uh, if you're if you're squeamish, if you've never been a uh, butcher, or you've never slaughtered animals or gut animals, that this is going to be a challenge. But it is God's word, and it it really is is revealing the, the sacrificial system, which was full of symbols. Someone called this the telescope of the Lord Jesus Christ as we pointed ahead. Remember John's famous statement when Jesus was approaching him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And of course, if you were a Jew in those days, you understood when he said Lamb of God, they they were thinking about the, the lambs, the sheep that were slaughtered on their altars. And uh, John was saying that here is the, the final lamb. Here is the uh, antitype of all those shadows and types. Not only sheep, but you'll see there were, there were other animals as well, birds that were offered. And these are all pictures of the Lord Jesus. As uh, we, we know from the New Testament, which helps us a lot as New Testament writers give us uh, fulfillment of these passages from the Old Testament. So let us listen to God's word, Leviticus chapter 1. And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bull before the Lord, And the priests, Aaron's son, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay or skin the burnt offering and cut it in pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priests, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But his inwards, or his intestines and his legs, shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar, to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, of a sweet savor or aroma unto the Lord. And if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or of the goats, for a burnt offering or burnt sacrifice, He shall bring it a male without blemish, 
and he shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord and the priests. Aaron's sons shall sprinkle his blood round about upon the altar, and he shall cut it into, its, into his pieces with his head and his fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water, and the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And if the burnt sacrifice for his offering to the Lord be of fowls, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of young pigeons, and the priest shall bring it unto the altar and wring off his head and burn it on the altar, and the blood thereof shall be wrung out at the side of the altar, and he shall pluck away his crop with his feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east part by the place of the ashes, and he shall cleave it with the wings thereof, but shall not divide it asunder, and the priest shall burn it upon the altar upon the wood that is upon the fire, it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. You may be wondering, as we continue our series in the life of Moses, why there might be messages on the uh, sacrificial system when the... uh, the sacrifice, the sacrificial system is now obsolete. Some may, may, some may be glad that we don't offer animals in churches today. Some might be a little bit sad that we don't have the, 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 uh, the pictures that help us think about truths. Uh, we do have some pictures. We have the Lord's Supper and we have baptism, the water, picturing washing away of our sins. But we continue to preach from the Old Testament because it is God's word and it helps us to understand that the gospel, long before Jesus came, was preached in pictures, if you will. Really, you could, you could entitle uh, this chapter, Behold the Lamb of God. It is pointing to the Lord Jesus, who was the ultimate sacrifice. As again, I I quoted earlier, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, as Jesus approached the the people. Someone said, well, bulls were also offered, and so were uh, goats. Why isn't he called the, the bullock of God, or the goat of God, or the turtle dove of God? Well, because lambs were offered daily. The other sacrifices were offered uh, as the people voluntarily, voluntarily brought them or in special circumstances. But you remember, they always had a morning and an evening sacrifice, and it was always the lamb that pictured, again, the, the coming of Christ. The book of Leviticus begins a month of instruction about the sacrificial system. And other, and as well as the priesthood, which we believe was symbolizing the one final and saving offering of Christ. It's interesting how the Lord took three days to uh, give them the law and its application, the Ten Commandments and the application of the law. He took six days to create the heavens and the earth, 
But he, he took 30 days to teach them the sacrificial system. And one man commented that a greater work than creation and even the law was, is, is the grace of God, the gospel. He took longer to explain the pictures that speak of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You say, well, is it good news that animals were slaughtered? Well, it's good news that God allowed Christ to be slaughtered in our place that we wouldn't be because God's law was broken and his justice must be meted out. So yes, it is good news that Jesus died for our sins. But Jesus himself said that the scriptures, and he was referring to the Old Testament because the New Testament had not been written yet, are focusing on him. They testify of him. So in the Old Testament, we look for Christ prophesied, like someone said, a telescope pointing to Jesus. Whether it be kings that that reign uh, or priests that offer sacrifices or prophets that preach, they were all types, shadows of Jesus. But in the Old Testament, you can find prophecies of Christ uh, who will be born, who will live, who will be crucified, who will be resurrected, who will be ascended, he will be reigning, returning, and judging. All of these uh, doctrines of Christ are prophesied in the Old Testament. Again, the symbols are shadows of Christ. The New Testament explains the obvious resemblance of these types, whether, again, they're kings reigning, prophets preaching, priests offering sacrifices, dying, altars burning, examples of these types that are resemblances of Jesus. And you remember, long before the sacrificial system in the days of Moses, you had, uh, for instance, Noah offering, building an altar and offering the lamb and uh, the burnt offering. By the way, the word burnt here is where we get our, where we get our word holocaust. It means the whole, the whole animal or the whole bird was offered. None was eaten by the priests or the offerer like some of the other offerings. This especially pictures Christ because he was wholly offered for us. And uh, we find that Noah built an altar and Abraham and all the patriarchs built altars and they were uh, means of worshiping God. In other words, as we were anticipating, as they offered the animal, they knew it was substitute for them. Just like you remember God commanded Abraham to offer his son Isaac and Abraham couldn't understand that obviously because he had hoped for a son for many years and the Lord finally gave him a son in his old age and God said offer him on the altar. You remember Abraham took Isaac to uh, Mount Moriah and, and built the altar and laid Isaac on it and he lifted up the knife to slay his son and God stopped him. And a ram, remember, was caught in the thicket, a male uh, sheep. And he offered that instead of his son. And again, there's the picture of Jesus. But the altars were picturing the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the altar of Mount Calvary, as it were. And so uh, the Jews understood, as the priests taught them, that uh, this animal was a substitute, a vicarious offering instead of them. 
They knew that they deserved God's wrath, but that they would offer this animal instead of themselves. And this was God's way of saying that I will provide a sacrifice in the future that will be final. And way back in the Garden of Eden, you remember, God told uh, the devil that the woman would bear a seed. Of course, not the woman that has the seed. Obviously intimating the virgin birth, but that this, this seed would crush the devil's head. So way back in the Garden of Eden, right after the fall of man, God had prophesied the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he would reverse the curse that the devil caused in the fall of, of Adam and Eve. In Leviticus 1, you have the worshiper and the offering and the priest. Now we understand, again, that the offerings picture Jesus. And I'll quote a couple verses from Hebrews. And Hebrews in the New Testament is a book given to the Jews to help them understand exactly what these pictures represented. And uh, many wanted to continue the sacrifices of animals and birds when uh, the apostle says here, no, Jesus died. Once he died, then there's no more need for the pictures if the real thing is there. It's kind of like, you know, your, your, your loved one is gone and you're, you look at the picture of your loved one, but when the loved one returns, uh, what, what, what would he think or she think if you continue to look at the picture instead of looking at them? And Jesus has come and he was saying, don't look at the pictures anymore, uh, focusing on the pictures, primarily focus on the, uh, not the shadow, but on the tree. And so Hebrews, for instance, in chapter 10 says, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins, but the blood of Christ who offered himself through the eternal spirit without spot will purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God, Hebrews 10, 14. And you remember John in his first epistle says the blood of Jesus Christ, not the blood of bulls, not the blood of goats, but the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. So Leviticus 1 begins the study of how a person can become and remain right with God. It pictures atonement for sin, as you, as you read with me in chapter 1, uh, where it says to make an atonement for the soul. The word to make atonement means to, to, pay, to pay a ransom, uh, to, uh, to cover your sin. Now, there's a picture of our sins being paid for, covered, removed, and being left clean and pure before God. And so as the offerer brings the offering, he's saying, I'm a sinner. I, I'm repenting of my sin. He comes voluntarily. And he's saying that, that this animal, this bird, I'm offering in my place. And you remember, hands were placed upon the head. Picture of the transfer of guilt. And uh, we'll look at that uh, soon. But you, you have here the uh, atonement for sin and the application of that atonement to the soul. So as that animal was offered, or that bird and the offerer saw that the, uh, the body burned completely, as it were, he went home with a clear conscience. Now he understood that animals can't, take away his sins, but it was a picture again that God is approached by sacrifice. God is, is, is holy, and man 
in order to be restored in fellowship with God, has to have his sin dealt with. And the Lord was teaching them hundreds, yeah, thousands of year, years before, this is how man is right with God. Remember what happened in the Garden of Eden. What did the Lord do right after Adam and Eve fell? They weren't cast into hell, into prison. God slew two animals. We don't know what animals they were, but he clothed Adam and Eve with skins of animals, picturing, again, that their sin was covered, that, that two innocent victims died in their place. God had mercy on Adam and Eve, but he didn't have mercy on the animals, as it were. And when Jesus died on the cross, he had mercy on you and me, but he had no mercy on Jesus because he, for those hours he took the place of repentant sinners. And that's why Jesus cried, Why hast thou forsaken me? Because the Father turned his face away from Christ and Christ became a lightning rod, if you will. He took the lightning when we deserved it. And that's the teaching in the gospel. So we see uh, salvation by Christ. First, verse 1 is God's idea. Notice this says, The Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation. Here is God approaching man. Man didn't, have, didn't approach God. Adam and Eve hid from God when they sinned. They didn't want anything to do with God anymore. They knew they had, they had sinned. God went looking for them in the Garden of Eden. Adam, where art thou? And here is the Lord coming to the people of Israel and giving them the gospel and pictures. But notice, he, he speaks to Moses. He doesn't outright speak to the people. It's teaching us that we need a mediator. We need a go-between. And Jesus is called the mediator between God and man. No man has the right to approach God without Christ in between. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So here is God approaching man after the fall, and, and God comes through a mediator. Moses is picturing Jesus. This is the way man can be reconciled to God. This is the way of salvation. And this is God sending the gospel to the world in his, in his mercy. Verses 2, 10, and 14 speak of repentance and substitutionary atonement. If any man bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering. And if you look at those verses, it's either of the cattle of the herd, the, of the flock, or of the goats. And then birds, verse 14. Interestingly, he didn't have them go after beasts, wild beasts. He, he had them choose from domesticated animals and then birds that were obviously in a peaceful situation. So, what is suggested by this, again, God is not telling man, go far for your salvation. He didn't make salvation far away for man, for, for few could, could reach it. The, the, the picture of Christ is close by, their own animals. As obviously it was a personal thing. And uh, the fact that the Lord was saying here the salvation of God is not just for the rich. Obviously, the rich, only the rich could afford the, the male cattle, the bulls. And the middle class, perhaps, you have the, the flock and the goats, the sheep and the goats. But we all know from verse 14, the birds were for poor people. Only the poor could afford birds. They couldn't afford the animals. 
And so the gospel is to all. It's to rich and middle class and poor. It's, it's to those universally too, north, south, east, and west. Did you notice that, that in one verse that the birds are to be killed on the north side and, and, the, and there was the mention of the east side? And, the, and so you have, again, the Lord saves people universally, not just in certain areas of the world. Salvation is offered to the world. But you find that, again, the, these animals are close by. But it's a personal thing, too, because many of, the, many of these animals were, no doubt, appreciated and loved by people. It was, it, was a, it was something that tugged at their hearts. And to think that the Lord Jesus was taken from among men and one who loved us and one who, who was affectionate to people and one who healed, taken close by. And again, Jesus was walking among the people. He didn't go out, out in the wilderness and force people to go out and find him. Jesus was found in the streets, in the homes, in the synagogues, in the, te- in the temple. He was close by, just like it says in Proverbs. Wisdom cries in the streets. It's not a secret thing that Jesus died. It's not a secret thing that people need Christ. It's on the radio. It's, 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 the Lord has given us Bibles. It's, it's available to human beings. And think about the fact that the birds, how would they have gotten these birds, the turtles, the turtle doves and the doves? They had to go into the vineyards, for instance, and here they were in in a peaceful situation, maybe just singing on a branch and taken down and violently brought to the altar and having their heads wrung off. You say cruelty? Jesus, how peaceful he was in heaven fellowshipping with the Father and with the angels. And the Father said, I want you to leave the peace of heaven and become a man and be violently treated. And you think wringing off the neck and the knife plummeted in the neck of the, of the animal is cruel? Think about Jesus being punched and his beard being plucked from his, you know, by hand from his face and punching him and, and scourging him and torturing him and mocking him and crucifying him. See, this violence was to picture the the, the final sacrifice of Jesus, taken from the peace of the pasture, these animals, or by the river, or in the vineyard, or the, the oliveyard. Christ taken from heaven, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You say, that cruel, we kill, but we kill animals. We kill birds for food. They're still killed. Does not God have the right to kill what he has created, to picture for, to people the one sacrifice of Jesus? Good news for sinners, that the innocent, the just, would suffer for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Does not God have the right to do what he wills with his own creatures? Notice thirdly, it had to be a perfect offering as far as they could see. Verse 3, a male without blemish. Verse 10, a male without blemish. Now perhaps picturing that Jesus would be the second Adam. As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. And Jesus is called the Adam, uh, the, the Adam from above. As we sing in Hark the Herald Angels sing, second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. But it, these animals had horns. 
horns speak of power. And think of a powerful sacrifice in the fact that the God-man would die for our sins. The Bible tells us of Christ's sinlessness. The, the without blemish would picture Jesus who would never sin in thought, word, and deed. It says in Hebrews 10, 14, Christ offered himself without blemish and without spot to God. In John's gospel, Jesus says, which of you convinces me of sin? John also said in his first epistle, who did no sin. Paul said, who knew no sin. Peter says of Christ that we're redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So those people had to inspect the bull, inspect the, uh, the ram, inspect the goat, the he goat, the male goat, to make sure there were no blemishes. And obviously as best as they could, but the point again is that the final sacrifice is a sacrifice that has to be without sin because if Christ has one sin, he is forfeited from being a sacrifice and therefore we have to suffer ourselves. And so Jesus is inspected from the very beginning. You remember the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. They tried to convict Christ of being a glutton because he ate with people or they tried to convict him of being a Sabbath breaker because he healed people on the Sabbath, and he proved that none of these, that he did not sin by eating with sinners and reaching them with the gospel or by healing on the Sabbath day. They could not, they could not convict him. Oh, they might convict, they could not convince him of being a liar, as they said. You, you said that you would destroy the temple and, and raise it up in three days? This temple has been in building for 46 years. Of course, he was speaking of the temple of his body. So Jesus was without sin. We have to have a sinless sacrifice in order to be saved. And this is pictured here in the, uh, the teaching of the sacrifices. Notice the transfer of guilt, fourthly, verse 4. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering. Now this is the offerer whether it be the father of the household or uh, could have been just a son or a daughter bringing their offering because they felt you know, sin in their life. This isn't just picturing someone who realizes that they're lost and they need salvation. That certainly is, 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 is included here, but you could bring an offering when you just felt like there was a there was sin in your life that you, that, you were, uh, that you were burdened down with and you would bring this offering. Notice it says to put their hand upon the head of the burnt offering. I think that that's a weaker word just to put your hand. The word means lean, press. And you can understand the picture there. It's, it's for instance, that word is used in Psalm 88, 7. Thy wrath lieth hard upon thee. Or Amos 5, 19. They lean upon, they lean their hand upon the wall. Or Isaiah 26, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, is leaning upon thee. Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 6, The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the picture, isn't it obvious? It's transfer of guilt as you put your hand upon the offering. So again, substitutionary atonement. My sin is transferred to this innocent victim. I, who am guilty, plead the innocence of this victim. 
And my sin is transferred. It says of Jesus that he died for our sins. And at the cross, somehow God caused all the sins of all his people to be transferred to Jesus. No wonder why he felt. The Bible calls him a sin offering, and yet he did not sin. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He's our representative. The substitute dies instead of the sinner. But of course, you understand the other truth. If people try to bypass Christ and face God without a mediator, that we have to bear our sins. God has to punish sin. He cannot cannot dismiss it. His justice has to be exercised. His holiness has to be vindicated. He has to deal with sin, just like we have to put people in prison for for their crimes. We can't just dismiss it, although so much of our justice system is, is, is tainted, how criminals walk free. So justice is suspended in this time period, but the days coming where justice will be meted out, it's either meted out in Christ or it's meted out in the person who's rejected Christ. And as the Bible says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So it's either... The substitute dies or the sinner dies and has to suffer. And so you see here the the absolute necessity of having our sins transferred to Christ. And then you see death for sin. That animal was not spared. Verse 5, and he shall kill the bullet. Verse 11, he shall kill it. Verse 15, the priest shall wring off his head. From what we can tell, it wasn't the priest that killed the animal. The priest, it says, killed the bird. But it was the person that brought the offering that actually killed the animal. He had to do that work. You can imagine the, the, the fear, the, the concern, the, the uh, just, what, what, how would you describe that? If you've never done that before, if you've, if you've never killed animals and to have that person take the knife right to the neck of that animal. You can imagine the feeling that I deserve that. Why does that innocent victim have to suffer? And surely the priests were teaching that. And by the way, as we talked about the hand upon the the head, this is not without understanding because in chapter 16, it tells us when the priest was representing the people, there was a certain offering that was for the whole nation. When the priest put his hand upon the head, symbolizing his guilt, he was a sinner too, and all the nation's guilt placed upon that animal, the priest prayed. And so we understand, although it's not told told in this chapter, the people, as they put their hand upon the head of the victim, prayed, Lord, I confess my sin unto you. I understand that this is a picture of, and obviously people were more mature than others and and had more understanding than others, but the picture there is, they understand I'm praying that God would forgive my sin and, and take out the punishment on this innocent victim instead of me. So the offerer is commanded to kill the animal. And some wonder, what does that exactly mean? Not that the, the priests weren't the only ones killing, the actual offers were. Well, another once one gave the illustration or the point that God had many executioners who 
crucified Christ. That's an interesting point. The Jews had him arrested, turned over to, first of all, the Jews had him tortured. He was punched, uh, and, and uh, he was slapped, and he was spit upon. Then they turned him over to Pilate, and the, the, the soldiers did even worse things. He was, on, he was before a gauntlet of soldiers, and they were, they were punching, and they had their own uh, opportunities to, to punish Christ. And then someone, the Bible tells us, had this idea, well, he's a king. Let's find him a crown. And they happened to have a bush that was full of thorns, and someone cut a branch down and, and weaved it into a crown, and they thrust it upon the, the scalp of Jesus. And someone else took a reed and, and pounded that. Think about the torture of Christ. And, this is, and he hasn't died. They didn't torture these animals. Did you notice that? The torture didn't precede the death. The torture, as it were, follows the death. They kill it first before they flay it and they cut it in pieces. The flaying and the cutting in pieces was before Jesus' death. It's after the animal's death. So there's no suffering of the animal. But they scourged Jesus. And what was the result of scourging? They flayed the skin. They skinned the back of Jesus. When, and, the, and the soldiers, the, the, the Romans had no maximum. The Jews had a maximum of 40 stripes upon criminals. And Paul made the statement, I've been, I've been whipped five times, 40 minus one. In other words, they thought, we better do it 39 times lest we exceed. But the Romans had no maximum. So when Jesus was, was scourged, you can imagine, it could have been 50, it could have been 60, it could have been 70 whips to his back and to his chest. And Jesus was flayed. I know it's 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 you, people are aghast reading this, and that's the point. What is the point? That if Jesus suffered like this, how what 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 will I suffer if I reject God's only offering for my sin? Oh, the violence! It says, and they crucified him. Cursed is he that hangeth on a tree. Ye murdered the Prince of Life. A knife to the neck, ringing off the head is, is violent. But again, he was wounded, he was bruised, he was chastised, he was spit upon, he was punched, he, was, he was, uh, had his beard plucked, he was scourged, he was mocked, he was despised, he was crucified, and he was naked, he was, he was shamed. And that's because God's wrath and, and punishment for sin was magnified and seem to be serious. And yet people think that God's just going to show clemency if they dare to die without Jesus. God was vindicated. The Bible tells us that this was at the door of the tabernacle. It was by the door, verse 5. It was before the Lord, verses 5 and 11. In other words, they were face to face with God. They didn't do this away from God. They didn't do this in secret. They were approaching the Lord. In other words, they were confessing their sin to God. They were saying, I've sinned against you, Lord. I confess my sin. Remember, God is pictured by being in the, the, inner, the inner apartment. Remember, they're approaching the tabernacle, and there's a door that goes into the courtyard where the, the altar of burnt sacrifice is, and then the, the bath, and then the, one, the first apartment, and then the final. God is in the deep apartment 
So they're approaching God and they're saying, I've sinned against you, Lord. They're facing God. And for us to be saved, we've got to come before God and acknowledge that we've offended him, that sin is a cosmic crime against the God of the universe. It's an ultimate insult to sin against God. How much more an insult to say, I don't care that you've given me a way of salvation. I will face God on my own. You see the dispense of mercy in verse 5. The priest Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about the altar that is by the tabernacle of the congregation. You think about the fact that they brought a bowl of warm crimson blood. There was the life of the victim. And they brought that bowl and they began to splash it, sprinkle it around. And that's the application of the blood of Christ. And all around the altar, again, salvation is to people north, south, east, and west. But the warm crimson blood, the priest and the offer looked at that and said, there's the life of the animal. He had to die for me. And yet the Bible's saying that his death was not in vain. The blood is splashed and sprinkled. In other words, again, the picture, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. His death was not in vain. The blood of Jesus, the just for the unjust. It's, it's, as, if, it's as if the priest, when he held that bowl and walked around and offer and the families and the people saw it, Look unto me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. Behold the Lamb of God, its death was not in vain. And if that wasn't enough, look at the trial as it were. Verse 6, they shall skin the burnt offering. Now the lambs and goats were not flayed. I think the point is they were defenseless enough. But the bull was probably obviously the one that was, could defend itself. But the bull had to be skinned totally to show its strength, its power was useless now. The Lord was exposing not just you know, how we can hide on the outside. And the Lord was teaching, he knows the external, he knows the internal. And then they, he cut it in pieces, lay the parts, the head and the fat in order, the intestines and the legs were washed in water. That may be a picture of the fact that obviously they were dirty and, and the crop had to be taken by the offer and set aside the, the, where the food was and the, and the, and the um, excrement. But was this not a picture of the fact that as, as they washed these parts in water, it speaks of the fact Jesus had no sin whatsoever. But to think of the pictures there of flame, of cutting it in pieces, plucking the crop from the animal and cleaving it without, without breaking its bones. They dislocated, but they did not break the bones of the bird, for instance. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 22 that Jesus had no bone broken. And yet in Psalm 22 says that he was dislocated as they crucified him. But the whole animal and the bird are laid open for all to see. 
And we think that we can hide behind good works and behind, behind you know, skin, as it were. We can't hide from God. He knows our hearts. Hebrews 4.13, all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we must give account. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and every man was judged according to his works. Christ is judged. He was laid open, as it were, flayed, crucified, laid open naked, and he was without blemish. Oh, if, if I died without Jesus, I would, I, would, I would try to run from the judgment day Oh, if God, would, if God would publicize my sins from the beginning, how shameful. Daniel says that the person that's without Christ, without salvation, will have shame and everlasting contempt. And Jesus was ashamed, was shamed, but the Bible says he was not ashamed because he knew his death was going to accomplish salvation. He loved us. And you see the final judgment. Put fire on the altar, verse 7. The fire came out from before the Lord. If you read chapter 9, you see the instructions from chapters 1 to 9 about the sacrifices. But where did the fire come from? There was no fire yet. It was on the altar of burnt offering. The Bible tells us that the fire came out from the inner apartment of the tabernacle. God sent fire, as it were, from heaven to consume the burnt offering. And you see that in chapter 9 and verse 24, a picture of God's wrath falling from heaven. Jesus cried as the fire of God fell upon him, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet we read of those who die without Christ, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Jesus called it everlasting fire, and the smoke of their torment arose forever and ever. You see, Jesus, because he was God, could suffer six hours and save us. He exhausted God's wrath in six hours. You and I will never, could never exhaust God's wrath. That's why the lost soul suffers forever. Hell is not rehabilitation. Hell is punishment. Thank God there's salvation pictured here. Verse 4, this substitute will be accepted for the offerer to make atonement for him. Verse 9, it's a sweet, three times it says that it's a sweet aroma unto the Lord, literally a savor of rest. God is satisfied. It's a picture that, that God could remain just in saving a soul because his his wrath is poured out upon sin. Sin is not excused. It's not swept under the rug. When Jesus died, God's, God's law was magnified and God's grace was shown to be real. And, and so when Jesus died, the Bible tells us that it pleased the Father to bruise him, not in a, in a inhumane way. It, meant, it means it was pleasing to God to, to, to allow Jesus to suffer in our place to save us. And we read in Ephesians 5, 2, Christ loved us and hath given himself an offering and a sacrifice to God 
for a sweet-smelling savor. Behold the Lamb of God, is what this chapter is, is saying to us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is picturing Jesus, but the ultimate is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We should be so grateful that as it were, the, the, as, the, as, the, as the soldiers lifted up their hammers, that God didn't say stop, like he said stop to Abraham before he killed his son Isaac. God allowed those soldiers to pound those spikes into the hands and feet of Jesus. He allowed him to be spit upon. He allowed him to be scourged. He allowed him to die because he loved us and he wanted to save us. And salvation, thank the Lord, is pictured here. Notice again in verse 3, the offer had to come in his own voluntary will. He wasn't coerced. The person didn't have to come. He wants to bear the brunt of it himself. It has to be from his, from his heart. Whosoever will may come, Revelation 22, verse 17. Jesus said, all who come unto me I will in no way cast out. But we must come willingly. We must come willingly. Look unto Christ and be saved. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. This, this chapter, this, this symbolism is of Jesus. This is a telescope of Christ. Jesus has fulfilled the sacrificial system. He only had to die once for all. He doesn't have to die over and over and over again. And if we look unto him, we plead his blood and we ask him to forgive our sins that we'll be accepted before God and have peace with God through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Father, thank you for giving us these symbols and shadows. And Lord, we are thankful that we don't have to bring animals, sacrifices when we come to worship Thee. Lord, we simply trust in Your Son. We plead His life and death. We plead His blood. Lord, we plead for Him to stand between us and a holy God, knowing that He took our sins, that he bore the brunt of your wrath. Oh Lord, this is such a genius gospel. No human being could have ever invented the way of salvation, the way of reconciliation of a sinner to a, a holy, sinless God. And yet, Lord, you invented it. It was the only way that we could be saved. And that your Son, Lord Jesus, you were willing to condescend, become God and man, and to live and die in our place. Oh, may we never lose the wonder of it all. Oh, may you can stir our hearts, Lord, to appreciate the gospel, to fear thee, Lord, to flee from the wrath to come and to rest in the bosom of Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the Savior. And we pray that you would continue to work until that last day. Oh, Father, 
pray that many would get in before it's too late. Hear our prayers. We have no power to turn anyone to Thee. Only You, Lord, can draw the soul and save the soul from sin and death and hell unto heaven and eternal life. We ask Thee, Lord, for You who love to save, You would continue to work and do Your work this day. In Jesus' name. Let's close our, our service singing number 351, I lay my sins on Jesus, picturing that